Involvement with the criminal justice system is life-changing. It matters. Having a justice system that works is a really important part of a democratic society. I'm Penelope Gibbs, Director of Transform Justice. I'm Rob Allen. I've worked in and around criminal justice all my career. This is the Transform Justice podcast. Throwing light on the criminal justice system. Hearing from people who know. It's about whether the system's fair. And what can be done to make it better. Today we're discussing a particular type of victim. Children who are exploited and pressured into committing crime. I'm joined as usual by my co-presenter Rob Allen and also by two experts on the subject. Dr Grace Robinson, an expert witness, and Ika Stevenson, legal director of Just for Kids Law. So Rob, you worked in youth justice in the 1980s when child criminal exploitation was not a term. But do you think it existed then? Well, I remember working with uh, children in trouble in, in West London And there was a period when a number of them uh, found work selling flowers by the side of the A4 and shortly afterwards found themselves in court charged with burglaries and various other things. And it seemed pretty clear that the person who was offering them ostensibly work selling flowers was also getting them to do other stuff as well. I'm sure it's, it's, it's gone on for time immemorial. Um, but as with many things, it's, it's a sort of social problem that gets more or less attention at different points in history. Ika, you've worked in justice for a long time, not quite as long as Rob. Um, <laughs> have adults always pressured children to commit crime? Yeah, I remember being 15, growing up in Bedfordshire and friends of mine being taken to Oxfordshire to sell drugs. But it certainly wasn't spoken about in a legal context in the same way. Um, when I started at the youth offending team over 20 years ago, um, we had um, a whole host of children who would come through West London Magistrates Court who were clearly um, being forced to steal and um, it was definitely organised crime. But I think the um, level of awareness amongst professionals and local authorities at that time um, was, was you know, much, much lower At that time, those children were very much looked at as problem children. And I think actually disrupting that organised crime was quite difficult. Grace, the the term child criminal exploitation has has got a kind of technical meaning. Could you tell us briefly what what exactly its ingredients are? So criminal exploitation is a form of modern slavery. I think one important fact to get across is that we still have no agreed policy definition of what actually constitutes criminal exploitation but it's essentially the coerced or forced participation in pretty much any criminal act most cases will involve some form of grooming but actually deception and coercion are more prevalent and I think the reason for that is that it's become so easy for perpetrators to spot the vulnerability in children and to prey on that vulnerability. What what do you mean by deception? So children being deceived into thinking that their involvement might reap larger rewards than they actually do, thinking that they can actually desist when they would like to, or actually being deceived into thinking that they are involved in one aspect of a criminal network when in fact they're involved in another aspect. 
quite a lot of the time children will be coerced or forced into participation in the supply of class A drugs but they will have been told that it's class B drugs or it's cannabis and they will then be told not to look inside the bag that they've been given. So in some cases they'll accept supplying cannabis but they wouldn't accept supplying class A drugs and it's that level of deception that they aren't always aware of. Ike, can you give an example of a child that you've represented, how they got to be exploited and what kind of crimes do they end up doing? It starts off often in, you know, it's very, very subtle. So um, in all cases of children that I've represented, they have been vulnerable. They have almost all been excluded from education and they've been experiencing poverty. So sometimes it's just fulfilling their very basic needs. So being offered um, food by their exploiters, um, a cab home, They've been made to feel like they're being looked after. It's a semblance of a friendship, making, you know, being made to feel like they belong. And then eventually they will be asked to do something. So it could just be take a parcel from one, one point to another on your bike. But it's all under the semblance of, I've done all of this for you. You now need to do something for me. And for some young people, initially, it doesn't even appear as, you know, an unreasonable request. And then what? 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 What does it go on to that kind of gets them? I mean, obviously, taking that particular package is is a crime if it's if it's drugs, but can it escalate from there? So yeah, it will then escalate from delivering drugs or money to then quite openly being sent um, to another part of the country to sit in a in a crack house and sell drugs under the direction of somebody else. It can then escalate to um, being responsible for managing a phone um, and selling drugs directly to to users and being responsible for those drugs and that phone. Grace, is it in your experience, is it all about drug cases really or, or are there other sorts of crimes that end up being committed? The vast majority, I would say, are drug-related in some way. The offences that I tend to come across might be burglary, might be theft, might be fraud but it all tends to relate back to some sort of drug network. So, for example, the burglary of cars, those cars will then be passed around to a drug network so that they can transport drugs or weapons to different areas of the country. And and the dealers that we're talking about, they seem to be pretty expert at identifying children to exploit. Ike has told us about some of the characteristics. Have you got examples of the kind of children that do get targeted and, and how they're targeted? Yeah, I mean, one thing that I have learned is that no child is really off-bounds to a criminal network. Of course, you do get cases where you will have children that have experienced huge amounts of trauma. So whether that's neglect or abuse, whether they've been exposed to substance use, they might have experienced a bereavement in the family or a parent might have been in prison. Then you can combine that usually with some form of mental health issue or learning disability. So depression, anxiety, ADHD, all of these impact upon, you know, initially maturity, but also that young person's ability to spot grooming patterns. So they can't identify the the tactics that are employed by these criminal networks. I could, would it be possible for you to give an example of, of somebody you've represented that, that kind of falls into that category, somebody who's been 
targeted, groomed and ended up getting involved in the way you've described? Yeah, a 13-year-old young man that I represented had lost his dad to suicide and he wasn't aware that his dad had um, committed suicide. It had come out later on. Um, So he had a lack of trust with his family. Um, He was presenting with sort of behavioural issues in year seven and found himself um, excluded. And he was um, offered cannabis by a group of older males. Um, He was extremely vulnerable to be sort of being taken in by an older male because he was looking for that kind of role model um and eventually after accumulating quite a significant cannabis debt he was then told that he had to sell cannabis in order to 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 repay that debt the sad thing about his case is that he wouldn't actually um give evidence about his exploitation so it was very difficult to actually litigate on his behalf is that because he was so terrified of the exploiter definitely terrified he was still living in the local area initially i couldn't even get anybody to make an nrm referral what's that so the nrm process is the statutory process used by the home office to identify victims of trafficking And so nobody essentially would take responsibility for him and no statutory service was prepared to actually make the referral so that he could be identified as a victim in the first place. Eventually, I had to do a referral sort of as a general safeguarding issue. And then he um, was identified as being somebody who was a victim of child criminal exploitation. However, he, he just was not prepared to um, use the defence at court. Um, We tried to get the Crown Prosecution Service to review the case without him having to give evidence. They refused, so he ended up having to plead guilty and we used all of the information that we had about him as um, mitigation. But, you know, in my view, he was entitled to the defence. He's exactly the kind of child that should not be prosecuted, and he was. So, I mean, that that's an incredibly sad story and clearly a vulnerable child. So do I take it that, you know, it it is more excluded children that, that few middle-class children from stable backgrounds end up being exploited? In my experience, um, a lot of the children that I represent have been excluded. However, I have had a client who would be deemed to be middle-class He, um, I suppose, only came to the attention of these people because he was somebody who was regularly purchasing drugs from them. And um, it was through that that he was identified. His parents were were completely, you know, this was not a world that they um, were able to navigate at all. And they knew nothing about the exploitation for a long time? Not at first, but then he was, um, various demands were made upon him to pay his exploiter's money to pay off these debts and then I think his exploiters became aware that he had access to money um, and so they made numerous demands which the family paid. So they were kind of blackmailed really? Yeah thousands of pounds were paid in the hope that they would leave their son alone and yeah it took a long time for that to come to the attention of any services. I mean that sort of the debt issue brings me to um, ask, I mean, I've been reading that actually sometimes the drug dealers actually set up a a false 
kind of robbery in order to create a debt. So the the child is going on, um, a, you know, a trip to take drugs and they're robbed of those drugs. And then they have this huge debt that they owe to their to their to the dealer who's managing them. Grace, have you do you, have you heard about that? You're describing something called debt bondage, Penelope, and it's become so prevalent in cases of modern slavery. These perpetrators encourage children into these situations and use the debt as a way to exert control. The debt's artificially inflated as and when perpetrators see fit. So they may have a £50 debt and all of a sudden because they haven't paid it on the day that they're due to pay it, it's now increased to £100 and then the next week it might be £500. If that young person then doesn't pay that debt, they will be subject to extreme threats of violence or actual violence. And then if the violence or the threats to themselves isn't enough to make them comply, those threats are then directed towards their families. As you've just mentioned, you know, if if a young person has nearly paid off their debt, perpetrators will stage a robbery to try and keep them in that situation. And it actually isn't anything about the money because in many of these cases, I've spoken to children who have offered to get legitimate employment and pay their exploiters off weekly or monthly. These perpetrators want that young person's labor. Um, and it's a very, very difficult situation to exit from. And as a result, we have a lot of children trapped in these cycles of debt bondage. Mm, it's terrific. Um, Grace, Ica mentioned the, the NRM, which is the the system for identifying children um, who have been trafficked and exploited. I think it's been quite widely criticised, the performance of the NRM. Have you got a view about whether it's fit for purpose and doing the job it was set up to do? Yeah, I'm, I'm aware that it's been heavily criticised and I, I do agree with that standpoint. Um, I mean, the the process from start to finish is supposed to last for around 45 days we're now seeing cases where decisions haven't been made after 12 months, after 18 months. And as a result, some of these children are being left in limbo, you know, in very, very vulnerable situations because the trials aren't supposed to be um, going ahead without having that NRM decision back. After somebody receives a decision to state that they are a victim, there is supposed to be support made available. You know, they're supposed to be provided with protection. They're supposed to be provided with, um, you know, other forms of safeguarding. And I haven't seen any of that come to materialize. Ike, moving on to the actual criminal justice system. So you've come across a child you think has been exploited. How do you, in the criminal justice system, try and prove they're exploited? And do you then immediately get the case dropped? Unfortunately not. I wish it was that easy. Um, you know, the first issue is getting children to actually accept that they have been exploited, which is really hard. Um, yeah, presumably some of them have been more or less brainwashed into liking their exploiter. Yeah, and it, and and unpacking that relationship is really hard for them. But I think the way that I tend to approach it is just in the first instance to say that everything I've read about their case um, suggests that exploitation has been an issue, and that I'd like them to allow me 
to start the process and then I think getting social services records and school records are really good because then you can show history of missing periods or even you know arriving in education but very unkept like appearing to have not slept it's much more subtle indicators of exploitation which go a long way I think with the court and the crown prosecution service to say look this is not an isolated incident where a child's just been arrested with a load of drugs and has said oh I'm going to say that I'm a victim of modern slavery which is the narrative that is often being put out about these children but should uh, if the court finds that somebody has been exploited then that then that person should be acquitted is that the the way the law works yes but really i don't think these cases should be in, in trial because i think it's a really complex thing for the jury to grapple with and they essentially have to decide whether somebody else with the same characteristics would have made the same decisions and would have felt compelled to do what they did and so I I find that when we are in the position where it is left to a jury then they just can't you know I don't they can't get into the minds of a child or a young person who has been who has experienced that hmm. so uh, Grace you write um, expert witness reports are those at the stage before trial when the the CPS is deciding whether to prosecute or is it once the trial is underway so I will usually be instructed pre-trial um, and basically contacted by a solicitor such as Ica who might say that they have a client who they believe is a victim of criminal exploitation or who has specified that they were coerced or forced in some way one thing I will say just to add to what Ica was saying in terms of the difficulty for juries in making these decisions is that some of the cases are so unbelievable that you just don't expect this kind of activity to take place in this country. Can you give an example? Similar similar case to what Ica was discussing before and something that really stuck with me and shocked me was a, a young boy who was placed into a situation of debt bondage because of his um, addiction to drugs so he was vulnerable in that respect and he started off doing small errands for this network and it escalated to the point where he was bagging up and, and packaging quantities of drugs. He was holding illicit items within his house. He thought that by, you know, getting out there and riding his bike as fast as he could all day long was working towards paying off his debt. But what he didn't realize was he was making himself so invaluable to that drug network that they just didn't want to let him go. So, you know, he paid off that debt a thousand times over, but was so useful to the network because of the amount of profits that he was bringing in. And, you know, he was being subject to extreme violence in the form of being stabbed, in the form of, um, you know, at one point he was subject to an acid attack. And because he'd made himself useful to this network, actually when a different network came into the city and took over that drug supply line, he was sold as part of that package. He was a commodity, not only with this network being able to take over a really profitable phone line um, with hundreds of contacts, but they actually now had this young person that they that they knew was in the area, that they knew would do all of the, the drug running for them. And to the point where this young person had been exploited by criminals from Liverpool, criminals from London, 
and then um, drug networks from places like Albania. Did, did the jury believe it? Did they acquit him? I don't think it got that far. I think actually the CPS made the right decision in, in looking at the evidence and deciding not to prosecute the case. But, you know, some cases with lots of evidence do proceed to trial. Some cases with no evidence, well, very little evidence in comparison to what I usually come across, are being dropped. And there just seems to be no consistency from one court to another. So so in terms of this backlash, Ica, that you've referred to, it being more difficult nowadays to get cases dropped where you think a child has been exploited. Can you describe what's happening in that backlash and why you think it might be happening? There has been a narrative that has been created that the children who are raising the defence are not real victims and that they are essentially um, being told to run the defence by other members of a drug dealing network Um And the court's approach seems to have been to limit the um, ability for us to rely on the NRM. It was suggested that those making the NRM decisions are not experts and therefore that evidence should not be relied on in court. So we are unable to rely on that as evidence of our clients' um, exploitation. So it it obviously makes you question, well, what is the purpose then? (laughs) But, you know, that was kind of the first attack on the ability to raise the defense and then slowly there has been um, a limiting of the expert evidence that you can put before the courts Um, and I think it's all to try and limit the ability of um, children and young people who've experienced this to to use that defense. From my perspective when I first started acting as an expert witness two years ago when I was giving evidence I was able to discuss what the young person had told me compared to the evidence that was available and basically assess and discuss how consistent that was with a typical case of modern slavery. Fast forward to I think it was April or May of this year when another piece of case law came out and now I'm only restricted to discussing what it is that modern slavery comprises and I now can't introduce any of what the young person has told me when I'm given oral evidence or my actual opinion of the case. So you've you've had a long interview with a child, you think they're exploited, you understand their story, you're in the court and you're not allowed to talk about their story? No, just contextual information of what modern slavery is and how it happens and and why a young person might not cooperate with the investigation process, all things like that, but nothing around the young person that's sitting in the dock um, being tried. So it sounds like it's become a lot harder to get the CPS to drop cases or to secure acquittals, if, if that's the case. But if you do succeed, if the case is dropped or the child is acquitted, is is there then any kind of intervention does does anything happen does the local authority get involved or is it is it an end of the matter and and the risk that they may go back to 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 what happened before grace what's your experience on that in my experience there is no additional support that's offered nothing materializes that child is left in the exact same situation and for me the risk is still there um you know for many of these children like I said before they're trapped in this cycle of criminal exploitation even if 
um, for example, the the young person was to get a guilty sentence and then they received a custodial sentence and was in a prison. The exploitation carries on. The, the debt that they might have had previous to entry to prison is still there. It's parked. Or in some cases, you know, I was speaking with a, a young person last week. He was 16 and on remand. And he had got prisoners put in letters under his door with their bank details on, specifying that they know that he has a debt and he know he's got money to pay and basically making him aware that that debt situation isn't going away. And the the networks are very sophisticated, some of them. They're, they're really well connected. They've got people in prison who can locate that young person and who can actually let the network know if that young person is released so that obviously they're there and they're available for continued exploitation. Ike, the, the recent report from Crest Advisory, which is called County Lines Breaking the Cycle, suggested that where you have a child who, where the prosecution's been dropped and they've been identified as uh, probably being criminally exploited, that we should bring in safeguarding orders involving tagging and sending these children to secure children's homes. Given the risks these children are under, what should happen to keep that child safe and away from the exploiters? I think it's about working with that child for it to really be successful. It's about working with that child. It's about really, really um, taking an approach that, that looks at their trauma, what they've experienced, um, really getting a buy-in from that young person that everyone is trying to work towards keeping them safe and asking them about what, what they will need to keep them safe and working with their family to do that. It's never successful to just to put a GPRS tag on a young person, say you need to do what I tell you, you need to live where I tell you, and that's my idea of what's going to keep you safe. So the, the Crest report says that it's, it's not a good idea to send children away, far away from, from their home areas, but, but isn't that sometimes a solution in these cases or, or, or not in your experience? Ica, what did... not, not always, unless you're going to move a whole family and all of those, that are, you know, a child's protective factors. So, you know, I currently have a client who's been moved to Cumbria and he absolutely hates it. From London? Yes. And, you know, his family members aren't there. Yes, he might be temporarily out of sight of... Um, his exploiters but it's not it's not really solving the issue long term and it's not um actually working with him it's just another example of things being done to children rather than done with them grace would you agree with with that in terms of this idea of moving people away from the area where the exploitation has been taking place i think for some cases and it will be the minority of cases that might be the only solution and i say that because i've sat in front of a handful of young people who really have can see no future in their own life um, because they're trapped in this cycle of exploitation and debt but i think it's so important as ica has just mentioned that children and families are involved in their own safety planning you know I was working with a young person recently who had been involved or been exploited for a considerable period of time and the council was suggesting moving him and his family 
but they were suggesting moving him to an equally you know gang affected area where he would have been just as at risk and because they weren't willing to move to this other area they were classed as uncooperative and because of that they then received no other support or help in reality moving children often doesn't work because there's no wraparound package but if you were able to provide that support package actually ask them what it is that it would take to make them safe and make them feel more protected in the area that they are then it has the potential to work i just think that the way it works at the minute is insufficient Mm. to end could i just ask each of you if you were in government if there was one thing that one reform or one measure you might introduce that that might reduce the numbers of children who are criminally exploited or improve the way they're dealt with when the cases come to light. Grace, have you got a change you'd like to make? I think I would revisit drug laws and drug prohibition because it's clearly not working. So would you legalise drugs? I would. If you look at the evidence from the way in which that's being done in other countries, you know, there's there's much less crime. People aren't being exploited by criminal networks because the, the demand for certain substances in those areas isn't there. Ica, what about you? There's just so much wrong. <laughs> it's, you know, it's really hard to pick one thing when, like, as Grace said, we don't even have a cl- clarity of a definition. I think I'd have to start with stopping school exclusions and the ability for children to be removed from school. Um, I think they lose a lot not being in mainstream education and not being um, visible. Rob, what about you? Well, I suppose I was struck by what was said about linking together information about these children when they're missing from home, when they're missing school. Is there a better way of keeping track of of the children who are uh, who are likely to be exploited, are being exploited, and then intervene quickly, not taking a year to decide whether they are or not, but some much prompter response? to try to provide the sort of support that they might need to be able to escape uh, this kind of exploitation. Thanks, Rob, Iker and Grace. If you've been enjoying the Transform Justice podcast, please rate us, obviously very highly, and follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you have an idea for an issue you'd like us to cover, tweet us at TransformJust1 or email us. All contact details and information on child criminal exploitation is in the programme notes. Until next time, goodbye. 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 Goodbye.